0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels and a lot of football talk on this show today. I'm going to break down week two of the NFL season with Adam Musto, my buddy from Chicago, calling in to talk about all the top storylines, including the QB injuries to Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger, the Bears winning a close one, the Eagles banged up, lose that game to the Falcons, the Browns get back to 1-1, one and one. all that and more on our NFL recap discussion of week two and look ahead to week three. And then Kent Brown, the notorious one, is gonna call in to talk about some gambling picks for week four of the college football season with some big conference and non-conference slates coming up. You got Georgia, Notre Dame, Michigan, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Texas, and a few other big ones as well. Kent Brown and Adam Muster are today's guests on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk some more football. Week two in the books, back again after not appearing on this show for about a year. It's Adam Musto to talk some NFL action. Adam, thanks for coming back on the Money Mitch Effect.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking about week two because I feel like you kind of get all the hype out of week one, and now things kind of start to settle down, and you start to figure out who the teams are and kind of going from there.
0: Yeah, going into week two, it's over overreaction week, and I think we do kind of regress to the mean a little bit, but there were a lot of injuries, a lot to address. We're going to go like we did last week, bounce around the uh, football storylines and break down some games, but we're going to be a little selfish first, and so we'll start with our teams. I, I got to say the Monday night game, Browns and Jets, while not, not a classic, not an instant classic, doesn't go back to the first Monday night game ever played between these two teams, but... Adam this was a must win for the Browns They got the job done behind the defense Still a lot to improve We know the Jets aren't a good team But it was the first time all season And I hate that it happened in week 2 that I'm starting to be a little optimistic about this year They had to get the win with the Rams coming up And the Ravens after that So the Browns took care of business Wasn't pretty happy with where the defense is Want to see more out of the offense How did you take away that game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good assessment. Obviously, you know, Dell Beckham looked good. I think Baker Mayfield, I think we're still kind of expecting a little more. Um, obviously, really surprised by how he played in week one. But I, I wouldn't be too worried. So I think there's definitely still things to improve on. You know, I know a lot of talk is about with not a ton of players playing in the preseason, how big of an impact will that have? You know, is that overrated? Is it underrated? You know, maybe by week four, or week five, we'll kind of start to figure out if, teams start to get in sync and you know as they pick up new playbooks new offenses and kind of work together with each other
0: yeah baker i want to touch on that for a little bit like to see a little bit more has trouble it looks like at times reading the defenses i also would like to see some more improved play calling as well freddie kitchens you know was is an offensive guy some of the 12 step dropbacks aren't good they kind of mix it up mix some slants in there got beckham the ball in space it it wasn't the test that we're waiting for like they're playing the Rams next week the the level of competition is going to be very very drastically improved coming up so we'll have to see uh eight penalties this week i think about 18 last week so still some stuff to clean up on it you couldn't be worse than week 1 that that's another area to uh, improve on but great game for Miles Garrett good job by the defense i know they're facing Trevor Simeon and not Darnold who is out with mono which i didn't know you know quarterbacks could get but it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best performance, but they're moving on, and they're moving on to the meat of their schedule now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely a, a tough schedule coming up. Obviously, with the Rams and Ravens, and you know, down the line, Seahawks and Patriots are are down later in the, in the season. So, I still think the Browns will be a really fun team to watch, and it's kind of going to be exciting, I think, to see how everything works together. I know, obviously, so much hype going into the season, and after the Week One loss, hopefully, it's still there, and maybe this team can make a playoff run.
0: Yeah, you like to think that they maybe learned a little bit from being so hyped up and uh, got back to basics. We'll see. Uh, your team, the Chicago Bears, what an ending. I can't I can't remember a game ending quite like the Broncos game. When you consider everything that happened in that game, and, and I do think it was poorly officiated. We can touch on that in a second, Adam. But Broncos score, missed the extra point, Bears were offsides. They go for two and win it. What percentage chance did you think the Bears could actually pull it off at that point?
1: Yeah, I, well, I would say it was more than zero just because I feel like in today's NFL, um, you know, anytime you have at least 30 seconds left, that is enough time. Obviously, weird things did have to happen with the roughing the passer. And I, I think obviously the percentages go up if you have someone like Aaron Rodgers or, you know, even I, I know years ago in like 2008, I think the Bears lost a game in similar fashion to the Falcons where uh, they took the lead with only 11 seconds left and kicked yeah. the ball out of bounds, and one quick sideline pass. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it for me, it was just the crazy range of emotions. The only thing I could I could really think of from a, a sports perspective standpoint for me was the Blackhawks' second Stanley Cup, where they kind of they scored the two goals late, and it went from you know, oh, we're gonna play Game Seven to wow, we just tied it to wow, we're gonna win the championship, t- and <laughs> so, so quick. Time. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it was just going back and forth between we're gonna lose the game to we're gonna win the game to I, I don't even remember now, you know to Okay, they're going for two. What the heck? Why are these teams going for two? Can can they just chill? I just wanted overtime to kind of you know reset, and then they're going to lose, and then they're going to win. So just a whole range of emotions, and it's it totally changed. I know because it's funny. You know, I've been watching a lot of these older NFL games from like the '70s and '80s, and if a team, if there's a lead change in you know two three minutes left in the game, at that point the game's over. I think just you know the way that the quarterbacks were and the defenses were, were but you know now you just right. need a little bit of help and a little bit of luck and. If anyone's lost any games to the Packers over the last few years, you, you kind of learn you only need about 20 seconds or until the clock is, as the old cliche goes, if it's down to triple zeros, then then that's when it's finally over.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and you're right. And I know you probably look at the Bears' win as saying, wow, still a lot to work on, not fully impressed. But you snuck out of there with the win, you're 500, and with another winnable game coming up. We can talk about Trubisky and the offensive struggles the last drive they put it together and did what they needed to do but how much of of his struggles of the team struggles do you put on just the quarterback position or maybe Nagy and the offensive play calling not being up to par
1: yeah well i think certainly you know week one i I think they definitely needed to run the ball more and i think Nagy did address that and he did run the ball more and they do have a a pretty solid backfield i think with cohen and david montgomery and, and mike davis but I think just the way that football is set up now, you, you don't really see the guys carrying the ball 25, 30 times a game with that old four-minute offense where you're just you know pounding it play after play. So one thing I did see is I feel like the Bears sometimes you can see are very conservative with their play calling, especially maybe in situations where they don't want to expose Trubisky to make those uh, turnovers and those interceptions. You know An example is maybe on third and three there was a time where they, they ran the ball up the middle rather than trying to convert – with a short pass um, I know when he was a rookie there was a pretty infamous game they, they beat the Panthers and I think he was only four of seven in the entire game and they basically took the lead on a couple of fluke uh, Eddie Jackson touchdowns and then basically put the clamps on uh, all <laughs> offensive passing for the rest of the game so it's tough to say I, I do feel like there might be this liability and you know I think that Nagy and Trubisky have a great rapport and I do think that Trubisky is a great leader um, I mean I know I get into the body language A little bit but just kind of comparing him to Jay Cutler I feel like there is something there You could even see that last play um, Before the field goal he was right there right when The ball came down calling timeout But you know at some point Especially you know if you move up and take someone With the second overall pick there's a reason for that And there has to be you know you have to be winning Because of him you know not in spite of him
0: Right and I do Agree with you that there's something to be said about his Competitive spirit Fighting at the end there, even when he hasn't had his best game and he hasn't had the opportunity to throw a bunch, it wasn't pretty. The Bears got the win. A lot of drama at the end of that game. They gave him the timeout too, which we don't know what the official clock was, but on the road, not really what you're expecting to get. So there was sports in there.
1: there. Right, I know definitely in those road stadiums or whoever the home clock operator, they're always going to lean in favor of the home team. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a couple perspectives to see. You know, did they deserve to win? Probably not. Obviously, if they were zero and two, there'd be bigger concerns. So, it's exciting. I don't think it's one you super celebrate, but kind of like you said, I mean, they do have a pretty favorable schedule over the next couple of weeks. Especially, I mean, they play the Saints, but there's—I I don't think Breeze will be back for that. That's in Week Seven, so they can definitely make a run. You know, if they can just get a little bit of offense. And I, I think real quick, and you know, before we, talk, we can talk on, on other teams, but I, I think it's just kind of figuring out who Trubisky is going to be. You know, is he going to be Kyle Orton? type of quarterback where he just kind of like rides away with the defense or is he going to be someone that can actually, you know, help you win?
0: Well, the bears have a kicker too. So don't forget that now. That's uh <laughs> that's a good to see. It seems like they finally have figured that out with Eddie Pinero just drilling that kick uh, to win the game. All right. More, more games to talk about here on the money Mitch effect from week two with Adam Musto. We got to talk about uh, the utter embarrassment that happened uh, in Miami between Patriots and Dolphins. Props to the Patriots; they might not give up a touchdown in the month of September, but they throttle the Dolphins. Adam, we uh, we didn't expect the Dolphins to be good. I don't think anybody did this year, and they're worse than everybody expected. Forty-three to nothing was the final. They traded Fitzpatrick to the Steelers as well this week. Uh, Dolphins are just embarrassing. That was my takeaway from this game. I know Antonio Brown looked great and scored, and the Patriots are a dominant team. But uh, much like the Browns beating the Jets on a lesser scale, what do you really learn about the Patriots that you didn't already know from this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's not not a lot there. I mean, you know, one sidebar, my my friend on his fantasy team had Julian Edelman, and he was like, hey, we, you know, he wasn't watching the game, but he's like, hey, we scored – Forty-three point, or the Patriots scored forty-three points, but he only gave me like five, five fantasy points. So you know, it's because a lot of the, the the pick sixes, which were just terrible on the part of the Dolphins. So yeah, it, it is a tough takeaway, and I feel like the the Patriots are the type of team that they show up, but you know, they they realize the bigger picture. So you know, a, a lot of these September, October games are just kind of a, a walk in the park for them. Um, so like you said, I, I have no idea how to take the Dolphins. Yeah, I feel like the Bears. Sorry to get back on the Bears, but I feel like they were always the team where, you know, if you needed a good momentum boost, that would be the, you know, I like, for example, I think Brock Osweiler had like two or three career wins against the Bears um, with three different teams, two or three different teams, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, the Dolphins, what I have here, they've been outscored by 92 points, which going back at least to 1991 is the worst in uh, the NFL over that time. The, The one before that was the 2011 Chiefs and some just really bad teams here, the 91 Lions. Uh, 2001 Redskins and the 08 Rams and sorry, but your 99 Browns are on that list as well. Why wouldn't they be? (laughs) um, (laughs) But, you know, Fitzpatrick would, I thought at least he would kind of be somewhat of a stabilizing force, you know, not maybe setting the world on fire, even though he has, to be fair, done that, but, you know, not proven that he can make a deep playoff run or a playoff run, so I think it's really only going to get worse, obviously, with the trade of Minka Fitzpatrick and, you know, inevitably more injuries or more guys do end up opting out of Miami, then it's, it's and get really, really
0: bad. Yeah. Just one note on the Patriots too: the Brown situation with with the legal, you know, stuff going on with the NFL. He may not be available all season, but we know if he's there, he's in shape. He's going to play. He's going to fit in just fine. And if he's not there, the Patriots have the weapons to do fine without him. I think the defense really being better makes them look as dangerous as possible. Yeah. The Dolphins. Uh, you brought up some old stats. I'm going to bring up uh, something right now that uh, is also historic. As far as the gamblers go, with next week, the Jets playing the Patriots and the Dolphins playing the Cowboys, those are two, I think, 19 plus point spreads. That hasn't happened in like 30 years either. So you'd have to go back to the 80s to the Cowboys and Niners were. And I think you could throw, I think there was a third team in there, actually, but it's been a very long time since we've seen such lopsided games. So we'll see what happens there. I do want to touch on the team that Fitzpatrick was traded to, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers and kind of tie this together because they lost. A couple of things. They lost the game to the Seahawks 28-26. That didn't appear to be as close as that final score indicated. Seahawks did pick up a big uh, fourth down late. But they also lost Ben Roethlisberger for the season. Elbow injury. He's done. Mason Rudolph stepped in. Played all right. Had some uh, good passes down the stretch as well. A touchdown. But they're not going to have Roethlisberger. The schedule picks up. They're 0-2. And Pittsburgh is really hasn't faced a lot of adversity like this, I would say, Adam, under the Tomlin era. This is going to be a tough stretch run for them without uh, Roethlisberger, Connors banged up, and a defense that doesn't look so hot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would love to kind of be inside that locker room and figure out what their expectation for Rudolph was, um, you know, whether they wanted to get him in you know it, it now the expectation rookie quarterback well obviously we saw you know when Roethlisberger was a, was a rookie that he was kind of thrown in there, there pretty early um, so it's going to be interesting to see how much confidence they have in their young quarterback you know how much the play calling is going to be scaled back um, if they're going to have to really you know rush some of the stuff in the week to get him ready and um, Connor's a little banged up so and just obviously with the losses of their star players over the last couple years it's definitely a big transition for them.
0: I don't understand why they made this trade. I want to just talk about this for a second because I like Mika Fitzpatrick. I liked him at Alabama. I think he's a game changer at safety. And I think he is a high-grade first-round-level talent. But they traded a first, and not just any first, they traded this year's first when is not going to play. I talked about the schedule being tough. The Steelers could bottom out this year and be one of the worst six or seven teams in football, in which case that trade would be disastrous. So I think I mean, credit to the Dolphins here if you're going to go full tank, make this trade, and get next year's first-round pick, but I was a little shocked that Pittsburgh made this deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's always a a big gamble. You know, when you make that trade and you give away a first-round pick that you, you know, are kind of betting on yourself that you're in a perfect world, they're going to say, well, maybe we're only giving away, you know, 28th overall or, you know, 20th overall. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting, I think, with all this player movement, maybe it's just the fact that the draft, I feel like sometimes can be such a toss up where you really don't know what you're going to get. You know, maybe you kind of get that established or, you know, somewhat you, you kind of know where the floor and the ceiling ceiling is for certain guys, rather than taking a kind of picking at straws and, you know, hopefully getting a playmaker, but there's been countless other safeties that have been drafted to the NFL. Um, like the, the jets had that other guy from Alabama. who was like, uh, I can't think of his name now. D D milliner, I think who, you know, was very, very not that <laughs> it's good. Terrible, so. yeah. Um, so at least there maybe you kind of get someone where you kind of at least know what you're what you're getting for a first round pick. That's the only thing I can think of.
0: Well, well, remains to be seen. Seahawks two and zero, Adam. I mean, they're looking like they could be back in that playoff hunt. Russell West, Russell, I Westberg Russell Wilson, <laughs> unbelievable game, uh, efficient efficiency wise, as good as he's played, and is just a leader out there. So I'm I'm watching to see what the Seahawks do. We know how good the Rams are. 49ers are two and zero. Also, NFC West uh, has uh, a little more talent than uh, Cardinals. Were only zero one and one. So maybe that was the division everybody underrated.
1: Yeah, I mean it wasn't too long ago. What was that like uh, early two thousands? That or late 2000, 2010s? I mean when uh, you know it was probably arguably the worst division in football, and and then obviously it kind of heated up with the 49ers Seahawks dynasty. So yeah, that's uh, that looks pretty good right now.
0: Well, we mentioned the Steelers. You mentioned the Steelers, Adam betting on themselves with the Fitzpatrick trade here on the Money Mitch Effect with Adam Musto. Another another guy that bet on himself is Dak Prescott. He's looking pretty smart right now. As we look at the Cowboys-Redskins final, it was 31-21. Again, Dallas uh, running away at the end there. But Dak Prescott has never had a stretch as good as right now in his career. 26 for 30, 269 yards, three touchdowns to one interception, and ran for 69 yards on the ground as well just keeps making himself money and keeps making this Cowboys team look as dangerous as ever because between him and Zeke, this defense, it's going to be tough to beat if Dak keeps playing this good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the slump in the NFL is just kind of so weird to kind of figure out where, you know, obviously he was on fire as a rookie and then didn't show any crazy downturns. But, you know, obviously struggle a little bit over the last couple years so. I guess my hope maybe you know I know obviously when money is on the line maybe players play a little differently but yeah things look really good in, in Dallas I wasn't really expect, you know I still kind of thought uh with Jason Garrett as a coach it'd kind of be a mediocre team Prescott's definitely proving that he's a top level quarterback which you know if you have one then they're gonna be pretty tough to stop week to week and also I mean just with Elliott too just because there's so few running backs really that are you know the consistent guys that can put up 100 yards or you know 1400 yards
0: it's like every yards week in the so, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> He's a full-blown workhorse. This team has done a tremendous job drafting defensively, which makes it easier on everybody's jobs, especially on offense. The way he plays, I know the schedule's going to get tougher, not this week when they play the Dolphins, but after that. They're a team that that's looking poised. Washington, and the secondary. Josh Norman getting burned again. This team is uh, actually maybe not as bad as we thought offensively, but defensively not as good. Uh, the Cowboys counterparts that we think is going to be the contending team with them in the NFC East is the Eagles. And they lost the Sunday night game, Adam, to the Falcons. And uh, again, one of the most uh, unique endings, I'd say, to a football game with the Falcons winning 24-20. to Let's start with this. Have you seen an offense absolutely gutted like the Eagles were via injury, especially in that first half? Because I can't remember any in all the years watching football. They lost every starter just about.
1: No, I, I mean, I know they had that old body bag game in the early 90s, but um, I think that was also the Eagles on the, on the Redskins. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy just how the star players that go out for them. And um, it's got to be tough on a, on a team's psyche. And then also, you know, what they say, you know, off season, week one, week two is when the teams are the healthiest. And some of these injuries can be long-term, some, some not so much. But, you know, from here on out, p- people aren't going to be playing 100%. Um, so, you know, you might get 80%, and there's still going to be some lingering effects. So so it's going to
0: be kind of tough to, you know, get back to full strength for a while. Yeah, word is Deshaun Jackson out for a couple games? They have a shortened schedule. Uh, I think the second game is a Thursday game, so they got to get ready for that. Um, so that's going to hurt. Alshon Jeffrey might miss a little bit as well. Uh, you know, and they lost uh, Goddard as well, the tight end. Carson Wentz comes out of the game briefly. And they still battle. I will give Wentz credit because he was not great at all. But when push came to shove, he kept fighting. The Thursday game is actually this week: Eagles and Packers. But or uh, excuse me, week four it is Eagles and Packers. But look at the end of the day, this is why I can't fully embrace the Falcons, Adam, because they should have won this game going away. And again, they almost blew it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just kind of bizarre, you know. And also, just you know, week one they just were the beginning of the game they just got blown up by you know minnesota and then scored a little bit late so yeah just a really weird team to figure out they just have so much talent um but it's just kind of piecing it together and kind of seeing how the, you know they play it year in and year out and obviously last year they had a the five game losing streak and the toward the end of the season so just kind of bizarre you i feel like you just expect so much more from atlanta
0: well, it's going to be there with uh, the injury to that quarterback in New Orleans. The opportunity there for the Falcons. Uh, Cam Newton's banged up. Breeze is out. Tampa Bay still has Jameis Winston as their quarterback. The chance is there for Atlanta. And that, that passing game does look good when Ryan's not throwing it to the other team. Calvin Ridley and Julio are, are in the discussion for the best one-two receiver combo, I think, right now in football. We'll see. Edo Smith was running the ball pretty well when he got some carries, and I do like that Falcons pass rush. But Eagles were there. They battle back, and Nelson Aguilar, if he catches that pass, they win the game. I mean, I think it's that simple.
1: Yeah, and going back to obviously the Saints injury, just the Rams now, well, all the, all the teams that are 2 0 in the NFC are the front runners, and it's just crazy, I think, with Breeze going down, as a lot of people had them as the NFC team coming out for the Super Bowl. So, yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's going to be
0: exciting. I mean, that game, and just switching to that one, Adam, that game, Rams and Saints, they played a bunch of times the last couple of years. They're in, playing this one in the Coliseum in L.A. We're expecting a great game. Breeze goes down, and that just shows you how important that position is in the NFL. He goes down, and they basically had no chance to win that game. I mean, the, the drop-off yeah. when Bridgewater got in there, that was it. Their chance was over. And he's out six weeks now, and you just, they're just trying to hold on for dear life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it also goes to show exactly to your point of, you know, not just having a solid quarterback, but one of those upper-level quarterbacks where, you know, Bridgewater was a first, I think, what, last pick of the first round. Obviously, we've kind of seen what type of quarterback he is, but it's not like they were just turning to some, you know, six-round draft pick or an undrafted guy from Division two. I mean, this is a, you know, a quarterback that scouts liked and not too long ago was the starting quarterback in the NFL – so yeah, it's just it's huge. And sorry not to go back to the Bears again, but you know we talked about the quarterback struggling, but you'd rather have a decent quarterback healthy, you know, than any small injury like that is just going to be totally devastating.
0: Yeah, it, it's exactly right. Uh, I do want to say one thing. Uh, Aaron Donald is the most dominant player I can remember watching. It, definitely on the defensive side of the ball. I know quarterbacks we judge differently, but if you're going to say dominant, non-quarterback related. I'm looking at like the Randy Moss era, the LT fantasy season, Priest Holmes run. What he does on the defensive side of the ball, he completely takes over games, and you can't you can't single block him. You pretty much can't even double block him. They're throwing triple teams at him, and he's still effective.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just you know, going up the middle. I mean, those tackles, defensive tackles, they just take such a pounding. But to be that big of a difference maker, totally changes you know an offense's running attack and how many people they have to leave in to block and three step drop versus five step drop and you know running screens and all that different stuff and he's just so good at sniffing that out and you know crazy the amount of sacks he gets for an interior lineman. So yeah it's it's definitely fun to watch.
0: If we look at the uh, the schedule going forward, six games or six weeks is what we're expecting Brees to miss. That's Seahawks, Cowboys, Bucks, Jaguars, Bears, and then Cardinals. That's not easy. I mean, say what you want about the Bucks and Jaguars. Maybe those are in Cardinals. But you've got a couple tough games right off the bat without Drew Brees, so I mean, it's not going to be easy for this team to to stay afloat. I do think that the division, like we mentioned, will keep them in it, but they're going to lose some ground here.
1: Yeah, and you know, fortunately for them, I think Sean Payton is definitely obviously his his record speaks for it itself, but. Well, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see. It'll be that interesting dynamic. You know, is it the quarterback or is it the coach? Because they've be- basically been uh, lockstep for their entire career since Peyton arrived and since Breeze came over from the Chargers. So you know he'll be ready, but I think that'll kind of be a good litmus test to kind of figure out what his uh, final legacy is as a play caller and all that.
0: And we know now that the play uh, the play didn't decide the outcome of the game, but this ties everything together with where the NFL's gone with officiating. Just how bad was that call that took the touchdown off the board? And why do you think the Saints keep getting screwed like this?
1: Yeah, I mean, what are the chances of it happening? Happening to? It's, uh, it's incredible, uh, really. The, the same two teams. It's almost like you know the microscope was on them. So you know, it's bizarre with, with the you know amount of angles and you know high definition cameras and just the number of cameras. You would expect to be perfect, but for whatever reason, I don't know why, but it's not.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just almost kind of funny. I know if it's just your Saints fans out there listening, you don't find it funny, and I totally get that. But another bad play. Uh, and just don't blow it dead. If you're not 110% sure or 100% for all you math majors out there, just don't blow it dead if you're a referee. Uh, just don't. Let it play out and, and leave that to chance because that effectively took a touchdown off the board and did change the complexion of that game. All right, money mentioned effect. Adam Musto, some more NFL talk from week two. Got to get our obligatory... Uh, Discussion in on how awesome Patrick Mahomes is because that second quarter against Oakland, the last time they'll ever play that game on the baseball field in Oakland, was really incredible when you think about it. The Chiefs had their streak of 22 straight point uh, first quarter score, uh, scoring in the first quarter streak ended. They scored five seconds into the second quarter and proceeded to score four times in that quarter. He's something, man. I can't remember a quarterback like uh, like this taking over so early because even guys like Brady and Manning and Rodgers kind of grooved into their careers, their Hall of Fame careers. Holmes came out guns a-blazing. We thought it might – how could you possibly top what he did last year? And he's just still incredible.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I did some very basic math and – I don't know if it'll hold up, but as of now, obviously it's only two games, but I think he's on pace for about 6,500 yards and about 56 (laughs) touchdowns on the year. Um, So I don't know, maybe, maybe a tribute to his his dad, you know, obviously, like you said, playing uh, on the last baseball diamond for, you know, most likely forever, unless there's some weird thing in the future, who knows, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I think the expectations of quarterbacks have gotten so high and, you know, I, I don't know if it's just the emphasis on offensive, you know, The head coaches, I feel like so many more head coaches are coming from offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, that you're able to get someone in there so quickly and and be such a star. And obviously, he didn't play as a rookie, so he did have that first year, but he used to be, you know, that by maybe your third or fourth year is when you could kind of expect to go nine and seven or ten and six and and I think Roethlisberger was one of the first ones Andrew Luck obviously had great success as a rookie but just to I mean it's one thing to play as a rookie well but it's another thing to like you know be in like Dan Marino's prime range and you know so early so I I don't know what the secret is um, but I mean, he is super talented, and uh, I mean, that arm is just un- unreal.
0: Yeah, Dan Marino, you're right. He's the only one you can really compare to what Mahomes is doing at the start of his career. That's the only guy I, I can even think of. Uh, incredible. that The offense with Andy Reid running it is so good that we saw that you can put any receiver in as long as they're fast, running back, tight end as long as they can catch, and they're fast, and they'll be fine. So, so I mean, they are everybody just pick and plug players. We don't expect the Raiders to be that great, but... That was a, uh, a great performance by, uh, by Mahomes there. Uh, the other storyline that I wanted to get to as we kind of move our way through the final games of week two that we haven't discussed yet is uh, Bills are 2-0. and They beat the Giants, and Eli Manning gets benched this week. So a lot to digest in what happened in uh, the Bills making the Meadowlands their home away from home with two wins there. But the Bills are out out starting uh, with 2-0 and and could maybe push for that wild card spot. And the Giants are going into full rebuild before Week Three with Daniel Jones uh, assuming the reins. So a lot to digest there. What, what do you think was uh, the biggest story there? Do you think Eli Manning uh, was to be expected to lose his job this early, or is this a little too soon?
1: Uh, I think just because Daniel Jones was a rookie, I, I thought that they would kind of give him more more time. I mean, obviously they, from what I, I know, they really wanted to draft him. So some teams are so excited they named the starter right away in in week one obviously this wasn't going to be the case with Eli Manning so you know it sounded like the Giants still had kind of hope that they could make a run and they weren't in full rebuild mode when when it came to the beginning of 2019 but I guess the future is now for them what from whatever they've seen in practice in Daniel Jones he's the guy and you know it's just been so long I think since since um, Eli Manning has really been that top quarterback that has really scared defenses and and put up a winning record in a while. Well get like, you know, twenty sixteen they they went eleven and five. But outside of that, um, that was his only winning record since uh twenty twelve and even those I mean really only <laughs> just going back to playoff um, fronts only Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And you know, even those ten and six, nine and seven, a lot of those those seasons. So he's had a very long career, definitely one that I'm sure will be dissected over the course of time. You know, but at the end of the day he's a five hundred quarterback and um, led the league in interceptions three times. So, it's interesting what his legacy will be. I mean, the Giants still have, obviously, Saquon Barkley, it seems like. Or Saquon Barkley, every time he touches the ball, it's just unreal what he's able to do. Um, I do kind of worry about, I think, the shelf life of running backs are so short, though. But, I mean, I think he could still obviously be a long-term right. threat, obviously, in the passing game, and he's just so strong. I, I don't think he would wear down, you know, as much as some some smaller guys. It really is all on Daniel Jones. That Well, we you know, we were just talking about Mahomes, and if he could do what you know if he could be one of these guys that you know blows the the roof off a place right away then you know they have other pieces that i could see them going on a run but it might take some time you know obviously when people were shocked when he was drafted and then he played really well in the preseason which i don't really know what to make of that because in the preseason there's no game planning and a lot of starters don't play so time will tell i guess
0: yeah and look it was time for him it was time for them to reevaluate that position. Eli wasn't playing well. I get that. Jones is the rookie, had a good preseason. I get making a move earlier rather than later. But the Giants' defense is terrible. To pin this all on Eli again would not be fair. And I'm wondering how effective Jones will be. Maybe maybe this is good. Maybe getting him the game reps. But just be ready for the ups and downs in New York of a rookie quarterback because it's not going to get better very soon with the way that team's constructed outside of a few Playmakers like Barkley still don't really see any Receivers that are going to help out the rookie uh, And again yeah, props to, And again props to the Bills I just want to say that too Because uh, they're 2-0 and I think they have a well coached unit And they're getting there definitely not on the Patriots Level but they could push for that playoff spot
1: Yeah and I was just going to say I mean unfortunately That's kind of the reality of being a High draft quarterback you know the, the talent, talent Around you generally isn't going to be super high Obviously if a team's picking that high so It's not a great position to be in but but I guess that's uh, why you play quarterback in
0: the NFL. Yeah, a couple other things to get to before we look ahead to uh, Week Three. Adam also on the Money Mitch effect. Another NFC North game that I'm sure you were looking at. The Packers hold on to beat the Vikings. Green Bay scored three quick touchdowns and then held on for dear life. But they got the wind. I I struggle with this game because the Packers are two and zero in the division against their arguably their two top teams that they're their toughest competition. But I don't know what to make of how good any of these teams are because the Packers didn't look great in the second half of this game. The Vikings had chances but continually blew it. What was your assessment of this game, this week two game in Lambeau?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I had it on and I was like, oh great, it's going to be another Packer blowout. Um, I I just I'm not on the Kirk Cousins bandwagon. I, I just <laughs> I, I don't. I, I mean, for what he is,
0: yeah, so, it's not a for hot take.
1: For what he is, when he was drafted by the Redskins, I feel like he's obviously done better, but obviously for the amount of money he's made with the Vikings. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm happy that he's on a, a division rival, um, but it, it just seemed like the same old thing, which oddly enough, I guess it wasn't because I didn't realize that I think the Vikings had a, a somewhat large winning streak against the Packers, which when I saw that, I was kind of surprised. But yeah, I mean, I just was not buying into the hype or not the opposite hype, I guess you could say, of the Packers being in total rebuild And I guess the game against the Bears probably wasn't a true test, depending on, you know, how good the Bears' offense ends up being. But at the end of the day, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still going to be Aaron Rodgers. And until he's – I would still take him to win 80% of his games, regardless of who they're playing, whether they have to win a game like this or if they had to win 45-41, I I could see them doing that. So um, I think, you know, like when we are talking about Drew Brees going down and the injury, as long as Rodgers is healthy, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape.
0: Defense is good. If they're in the, if they have a top ten defense this year, that changes the ball game because that's something they haven't had for a long time. And if they can get that, mm-hmm. and they can get a running game with Jones, Aaron Jones going, that could be something as well. Yeah, Cousins is going to have to be better because Dalvin Cook looks remarkable. Their defense is good. Yeah. It's going to come down to can Cousins make the plays late, and so far mm-hmm. it hasn't necessarily been the case uh, for yeah, him. Yeah,
1: and it was. It was right there. I mean, you know, you throw an interception in the end zone. That's that's a tough way to lose it.
0: Yeah, there were some other tough losses this week. Where the Jaguars went for two, didn't get it against the Texans, lose by one. The Chargers blew a game late. No surprise there. To the Lions, and uh, the the Titans beat the Colts again. Did you know the Colts or the Colts beat the Titans again? I should say. Do you know they're like nineteen and three in their last twenty two games against the Titans? That's like. That Packers Bears rivalry back in the farvin uh, early Rogers era
1: <laughs> I did not know that I mean I guess I, I feel like I always forget how mediocre the Titans have become since like the heyday of McNair and Eddie George but um, yeah that is surprising to me
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, they beat the Browns, and then when they get you know some some good press, when they're under the radar, the Titans can upset some top teams or some teams with some hype. But you know they can't beat the Colts or their division rivals. Uh, and the last one I wanted to talk about was Ravens Cardinals. Uh, Lamar Jackson and that offense catered around him, built around him, looks very good. And the running game, especially, I'm looking at them. If the Browns are going to contend, they're going to have to go through Baltimore. And the other thing I want your thought on, Adam, is uh, Kyler Murray. He's been Exciting. He's got some things to work on, but for a quarterback of his stature, he's got some game-changing uh, playmaking in him, even at the NFL level.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, good stat line, and going back to week one, I did not expect him to come back and, you know, force overtime and, and tie, tie the Lions, so, and, you know, here's a guy that, you know, got the got the call from, from right away to be the starter in week one, and obviously enough to, you know, send Josh Rosen to the Dolphins, so obviously they must have liked what they had seen. So I'm sure it's still a work in progress, but things look to be on the way up. And, you know, there's a lot of different things to, you know, obviously you have to stay healthy. Um, as teams get more film on you, they're probably able to kind of find some of your flaws or weaknesses or holes to expose,
0: but definitely a guy, you know, you kind of want to root for and, and see how it goes. And hopefully his coach, Cliff Kingsbury could give him some help and not settle for field goals in the red zone. Uh, that, that's something to see as well. Lamar Jackson, uh, I, I'm I'm impressed. I was a little skeptical, but he's done tremendous things. Hollywood Brown, Mark Ingram, some offensive pieces. That should be fun. Um, all right, Adam Musso, this was good. Uh, before we wrap this up, what are you looking ahead for uh, Week Three? What storylines, matchups have got your attention as we get into uh, the third week of the NFL season?
1: Yeah, well, let's see. Let's uh, so take a look at the schedule. Um, obviously, you pointed out the Patriots and the Jets and the Dolph- or the Cowboys and the Dolphins. Those are going to kind of be tough to uh, not have blowouts there. I-, I don't know. I think the Texans-Chargers is kind of an intriguing matchup. I was still somewhat surprised that Phillip Rivers threw that interception late against the Lions when they're you know when they just need to kick a field goal to tie the game. And I mean, that's kind of an intriguing quarterback matchup. I, I guess I'm still kind of on the Chargers bandwagon, but for some reason, it, it does seem like there's always these like terrible mistakes late. Mm -hmm. Um, When the games are really
0: on the line, Chiefs Ravens can't wait for that one. That is going to be exciting. Early game on the East Coast. That's one that's got my attention uh, with Lamar Jackson taking on Patrick Mahomes in that battle. Uh, Browns Rams, which we talked about the Sunday night game. Uh, Obviously, your Monday night game bears Redskins. A lot of Chicago fans I've heard in the DMV area, so that could, uh, especially with the Redskins going, that could sound like uh, a little bit of a home game for you.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Bears fans travel well, and I, I know I, I think the Redskins have struggled a little bit to sell out their their stadium, and you know I'm, that's I'm sure one of those markets where for whatever reason you just get a lot of transplants. You know, obviously with the uh, Washington D.C. scene uh, there. So yeah, hopefully you know I think it's an exciting. Obviously love Monday Night Football, um, and, and it's you know great to be in the sh- the showcase, but. As you said, too, the Ravens-Chiefs, I mean, there could be a ton in that game. That would be a great game later in the season if that had gotten flexed to prime time. And then, um, you know, St. Seahawks, we'll see how Bridgewater does against the the Seahawks defense. And, you know, Russell Wilson there, too.
0: Yeah, also Steelers-Niners, how good are the Niners? They'll be having to prove that at home. A great chance against the Steelers who have Mason Rudolph starting a quarterback there. Last thing, I've been kind of doing this as well. Uh, just kind of something fun to play around with. I'm in an eliminator pool, still alive going into Week 3, Adam where you can't use the same team more than once. Seahawks survived week 1, scared the bejesus out of me in that one point game over the Bengals, went with the Ravens in week 2. And I'm thinking I got to go Cowboys here, right? I'm, gonna, I'm in that chase Miami. <laughs> I'm in that chase Miami mode. I know the Patriots are another another popular pick, but Cowboys at home seems to be the pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, that one I think should be pretty solid. Um, maybe if you want to risk it, I don't know how many times you're going to pick the Buccaneers, but maybe if you need to get them out of the way, you know, they have a game against the Giants, but I don't know, who knows? Daniel Jones could come out and they're for 400 yards, so that might be a, a toss up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think anytime you go against the Dolphins, that might be a pretty good matchup.
0: And I also want to point out one thing, too. Uh, you know, that's good advice as well. I think the Patriots are the team everyone's kind of, you know, saving them with the Chiefs. You got to be careful with them because if they clinch everything early, they might just be on shut it down mode. So, you know, it's it's a it's a strategy here. But you like to have them in your back pocket, the Chiefs, the Rams, at some point as well. Uh, it never hurts to plan that out. But Adam, this was fun. Appreciate you coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking football. And uh, we'll definitely be doing this soon, hopefully with some more wins between our two teams.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, huge thanks to Adam Musto for coming out and talking some NFL football. We'll see what happens in the third week of the season. There's only 17 of them, so you got to appreciate it. It's, uh, we're, we're getting to some trends that are going to start to develop. So, again, thanks to Adam. We'll keep going now with some college football talk with Kent Brown. Week three had some pitfalls in it from the uh, college gridiron, but we will go to week four with some betting talk. Who do we like? What point spreads are favorable? What value bets are there? and pick some big games as well. It's Kent Brown talking college football now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, he's back to talk college football. Kent Brown, Keystone State gambler, is back on the show. Whereabouts unknown, we like to keep it that way. Kent, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, yeah, of
2: course. I couldn't come on last week. The fact that it was Iowa, Iowa State, I think, due to campaign rules. I wasn't allowed to openly discuss that game on the air without getting in trouble. So I will just say the fine people of Iowa had quite a uh, contest, the weather there. I think that was God's plan of allowing the people to stay there together, united for several more hours than what they were typically used to being part of. And you had quite a game in which, you know, there was a one point in victory i think that's a win for both teams as far as i'm concerned <laughs> A one point victory means it's the closest way to win for both sides as far as i'm concerned so the good hawkeye state people good on you the weather helped bring you together closer than ever
0: yeah there was some talks of some private behind uh, or closed door meetings during those uh, lightning delays but i don't know if you've heard anything about that you wouldn't know about you know some, some briefcase full of cash or anything
2: I mean, I would potentially know about it. I just can't discuss it on the airwaves. <laughs> Off the air, I'll fill you in on anything you want to know. Okay. But You know, with all our listeners here on the Money Mitch Effect, I just think it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be a good idea to bring it up on the air.
0: Hey, next. You know, next time you're not going to be a write-in candidate. You're making some serious progress. But uh, Kent, week three saw some exactly. interesting games. You mentioned Iowa, Iowa State. That seven-hour affair. Some good wins, some bad beats for betters. Uh, I keep thinking about that Alabama-South Carolina game, Ken, because we were all, even our buddy Matt Gothard, who's still taking it pretty hard, all struggling, reeling after Alabama. Could not cover late. Those were the breaks there, just an unfortunate sequence of events in that one.
2: Yeah, so you had uh, the freshman Ryan Halinski coming in. I thought he played pretty well overall. And for South Carolina, it's a game that that last touchdown meant nothing. But they're trying to build up a freshman. I think if this was a deal where it was a junior or senior quarterback, he would have been out of the game. There probably would have been a backup that wouldn't have moved the ball downfield, and Alabama covers. Instead, Alabama punches in a fourth down with their backups. Brian Halinski stays in. There's a roughing the passer or a targeting call that keeps the drive alive. South Carolina scores with 11 seconds left. And instead of us winning at Alabama minus 25, you might have even had a 25-and-a-half final score, they end up winning by 24. and Just a brutal loss because it's one that you felt like Alabama escaped and instead not quite. But how about this, Mitch? In that game, South Carolina had 31 first downs. That's the most first downs an opponent has had against Nick Saban in his entire time at Alabama.
0: Wow. That's hard to believe. Yeah, especially because they haven't won every single game.
2: I thought Uh, going into that game that maybe South Carolina scores 10, maybe 14. If you would have told me that South Carolina puts up 23, that would have surprised me. And yet Alabama still needed a miracle backdoor cover to not cover that game. So I think we were wise to bet it. We were just unfortunate that it just turned out to only be a 24-point win.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I want to give our buddy Gothard a, another quick note on something positive. For these Alabama big spreads, you kind of need two to be in there the whole game. So we had we had, it was setting up for us. South Carolina was feisty in the first half. Alabama was starting to pull away, and then disaster strikes at the end. But uh, those are the things that happen. Let's look ahead though to Week Four. This to me looks like the best slate of games we've seen and might might see for a while. We're getting ready for conference play some start this week there's still some big non-conference game Kent but games Kent but there is a lot on the table a lot of exciting matchups in game four or week four
2: you you have three top 20 matchups Michigan Wisconsin Notre Dame Georgia and then Texas A&M hosting Auburn and what's good about this is they're all on a different time slot so you have the noon eastern slate Michigan Wisconsin number 11 at 13 then you have a 330 eastern you have A&M who's ranked 17th, but their only loss is Clemson. I think most people would lose to the Tigers. Well, now they have the other Tigers coming in, and that's Auburn. And Auburn's 3-0, ranked in the top 10. And then you have at night, back-to-back, prime time. You know, CBS gets two top 20 matchups this week. Mm. Notre Dame, number 7, 2-0 and against number 3, Georgia. How about this? Out of these three matchups, none of them are on ABC or ESPN, which is shocking They yeah. normally get multiple games. That the biggest games are on the Disney Family and Networks. Instead, you have Fox getting the early game, and then CBS going back to back. So instead, this week the primetime game is Oklahoma State Texas on ABC, which is a good game. But you know, and our buddies Sully and Robbie will be there. But in general, it's not quite a national game to the level of Notre Dame Georgia or even the Michigan Wisconsin game. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I always love when the games are spread out. I hate when, like, three of the biggest four games are all on at the same time. And then even Friday, you have some good games, too, where you have USC-Utah. It's a huge game in the Pac-12. You also have Air Force and Boise State. Air Force beat Colorado last week. Boise State has already beaten Florida State and look to be, you know, with UCF, two of the favorites, to be that group of five team to make it to your sixth bowl. So, There's just a lot of good games on from the start of this week all the way until, you know, late night where Chip Kelly, I don't know if we're getting close to a Chip (laughs) Kelly funeral at UCLA or what, but they play Washington State and Mike Leach. So, just, it should be a fun week. I don't know necessarily if we'll have, you know, the marquee statement win from an underdog, like if there's some huge upset along the line somewhere. If there is, I guess we'll find out who that is. But for now, whoever wins those three games, are all going to be in that national
0: discussion? Yeah, they are, and uh, you did mention Friday USC Utah. I wanted I wanted to just touch on that too because that's a great way to kick off the weekend. USC kind of blows it late against BYU, loses in overtime. Utah is on the up and up. That that line basically opened about even. It's now about three and a half, four for Utah. This is a tough one for USC. It's a Friday night game. They won a marquee game against Washington State, a ranked opponent last year on Friday night. But I don't really necessarily like the matchup here with Utah, and I'm leaning Utah here. The USC schedule's picking up. They got a lot of hard games. Notre Dame's on that slate as well. Washington. This could be where the season turns in a bad way for the Trojans, I have a feeling. Yeah, if they don't
2: win this game, yeah, exactly. You start to look at their schedule, and they do have some brutal games coming up with Washington and Notre Dame. I think for Utah, the key is they have to play smart. If they play smart, they should win this game because they're the better coach team they're the team that knows how to win if this game's late and it's close a huge advantage for utah usc of course has more raw talent but they also have more raw talent than just about every team they play and they've only been winning you know five games last year two and one this year so if you look at their last i guess 15 games they're seven and eight so you could throw that out because talent doesn't mean everything in college football i do like utah in this one i think that they're the better team and the fact that the line's low enough if this was seven or seven and a half i'd be a little bit worried but the fact that you can get this pretty much everywhere at three and a half or four i feel very good about utah's chances i expect it to be close i don't think it's a blowout i think through four quarters probably the largest lead we'll see is maybe 10 or 13 points But overall, I think with seven minutes left or three minutes left in this game, it's going to be within one score, and then that goes down to the coaching and execution, and I'm going to side with Kyle Whittingham and not side with Clay Helton. On a side note, because you mentioned the game's kicking off, I also like a teaser. If you throw Houston, Mm. who plays Thursday night at Tulane, I like this Houston team. I know they have two losses, but they've lost to Washington State, who's top 20, and they've lost. To you know what I consider to be one of the best teams in the country in Oklahoma, in Norman. So they're one and two. If you tease Houston to eleven and a half, you tease Boise on Friday to one. Houston's an underdog at Tulane, by the way, so you can get plus eleven and a half mm. or plus twelve. Tease Boise to basically a pick him. and then I love teasing LSU against Vandy on Saturday down to sixteen. Vandy's not good. LSU's very good. I feel very good. LSU wins by 20-plus. Houston either wins or loses close. And then, Boise, all you need is a win against Air Force on Friday. That's a teaser I've already done, and it's also fun because it's a Thursday night, a Friday night, and an early Saturday. Yeah, such a for the
0: weekend, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then you win that early Saturday, and then all those 3.30 Eastern games and all those primetime games are available for you to use that money and put that into another bet or two.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, way to go out on a limb. By the way, saying that Clay Helton's not a better coach than Whittingham—that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's not not exactly the hottest take. But Tulane Houston—that is actually, I think, the first time Tulane gets a primetime game, maybe ever on ESPN at home. I mean, they're they're going to be up yeah, for that I would, game. I would but
3: talk if they've had one before.
0: Yeah, this is—I know it's a Friday night game, and they're doing like they're—they're they're definitely getting up for it because they haven't had anything and any talented teams in a long time, but. There's some good games Friday. I, I want to also point out Saturday, just as a note. We always got the big spreads to, to look at. Maybe there's some some first half bets, some props there. Ohio State, Alabama are both 39. Clemson's about a 41 and a half point favorite. You gonna stay away from the big dogs this week, or any love for uh, the top teams with those massive spreads?
2: Yeah, I think I'll just stay away from those. Like those are so big that I don't really feel great. You know, as you said earlier, if backups are in. It's hard to estimate how they'll do. Another big spread is my alma mater, Miami, plays Central Michigan. That's 30-and-a-half. You have Jim McIlwain coming down to Miami. Hopefully he doesn't get out on a boat and lay naked with another shark. So we'll have to see what happens there. Now, Wisconsin, I believe, has already beaten McElwain this year 61 to nothing. So Miami, it's a game they should cover, but at the same point, do I feel great about 31-plus if Miami start putting in backups Not really. So generally, my advice is with those large spreads, maybe you look at an over-under and you'll find value because you can start to see, well, backups come in and they struggle. There's 14 less points than what could happen if starters remain in. But when you're asking teams to win by 40-plus every week, we got lucky with Bama last year where they were such a well-oiled machine that they were able to cover most lines and always cover the first half. But it's just not rational to think that most of the big teams will do it, which is why I said LSU is intriguing because even though it's a conference game, I just don't think Vanderbilt's good. Uh-huh. And to get LSU at 23 or tease them to 16, that does become more viable than if they were playing, you know, Chattanooga and it's 46 points or something. Like LSU last week, their line was 51 and a half, and they won by 51 and didn't wow. cover like when that happens, yeah. Like, how do you even make a bet in that type of game and then feel bad about it? If you bet a team that wins by 51, you should deserve to win money for that game, <laughs> and instead you lose because it was 51 and a half. So, yeah, avoid Clemson, avoid Ohio State, avoid Alabama right now, and try to look for the lines that are a bit more reasonable.
0: So, what you're saying is, I guess, if I can summarize, size isn't everything. These are just too big.
2: Size, it, it, size typically isn't everything unless. You just
0: completely want to go all in and have some fun, and then take the pain. Yeah, yeah, There could be a good pain in there. Um, uh, Speaking of that, uh, one of the other teams here on the Money Mitch Effect with Kent Brown that I've looked at and been very impressed with, especially from a betting side, Kent, is uh, the UCF Knights there. They have covered every spread by, I think, a couple of touchdowns. They go to Pittsburgh this week. They are 12-point favorites on the road. Pitt, who we saw last week play Penn State tough, and then... As I think you mentioned on Twitter, Narduzzi just totally kind of wrecked that game from a management standpoint. UCF going to pit 12-point favorites. I, I actually feel pretty good about UCF in this game, and and I don't even know if Wimbush needs to play for them to cover this spread. But Wimbush hasn't been
2: playing lately. He was banged up for week two, and then last week they rolled out a true freshman from the same high school as Mackenzie Milton in Hawaii named Dylan Gabriel. and. This guy was throwing some of the best deep balls I've seen. I was really impressed. Like when I leave and look back at week two, some of the biggest kind of headlines I have. One of them is Dylan Gabriel lighting up Stanford. And, you know, he looks like the real deal. He's a lefty. He throws, in my opinion, one of the best deep balls I've seen all year. And this is a UCS team now that have won, I believe, twenty seven straight regular season games. Their only loss was LSU. You know, in the Fiesta Bowl, in which there wasn't even a Mackenzie Milton to go out and play. Josh Heupel's done a great job there. And for Pitt, the defense this year is better for Pitt. The last couple of years, Narduzzi hasn't quite had the back end of his defense to really run that press quarter system he likes running. Pitt, surprisingly, has had a really good pass rush this year, even when losing their top pass rusher in August due to a knee injury. And then their top interior pass rusher they lost after week one. But they've been getting after the quarterback, the defense has been good, but now the question is, can they do it against what will be the best offense they play probably all season? I understand that Penn State has a lot of talent, and Penn State has future NFL players, but that was an offense that didn't look to be in sync last week. I thought both Arduzzi and James Franklin roughly were having you know poor coaching days. Yeah, I haven't seen UCF have a poor coaching day in three or four years. So I'm with you. If you tell me I have to make a bet in this game, I like the Knights to cover, I feel like they're still trying to make a statement. They're one of those programs that almost has to treat the season like the old poll system, where if you win by 30, it's going to impress the pollsters. Because if UCF only wins by six, people will look at this and say, ah, they beat a mid-tier ACC team by six. But if they go and spank them by 24 points, and now you can say, well, they beat them by 17 more than a penn state team that's competitive in the big 10 and then they beat stanford last week by 20 plus and that's a stanford team that plays a couple past 12 teams competitively now there's more of an argument for them to creep up into that top seven top eight but overall right now i just i love what i've seen out of them they've been one of the most impressive teams this season i thought they would take a slight step back without milton they probably would lose three games and instead, they very much look to be the team of old. So, I'm with you. I'll take UCF minus the 12. Pitt's defense, if they can force a couple turnovers, they probably cover. Yeah. The one thing Pitt has a good job of at all, Mitch, they can't score touchdowns. In fact, here, I want to get up this uh, text, I believe, from my one buddy who's a diehard Pitt fan. And, you know, he texts us while he's at the games and will always complain about the team, and especially Narduzzi. Yeah. And, uh... Here's what he said. He said, so far this season, Narduzzi's declined a third and five in favor of a fourth and five, has given up a touchdown playing with 10 men on defense. That was last week. (laughs) He's attempted a field goal with less than five minutes to play from the one-yard line, down seven points, then tried to defend his position. He's thrown the ball 149 passes in three games with a quarterback that only threw for eight yards in the ACC championship game. And then here's some of the telling stats. He has not gotten a turnover in five full games. And Pitt has not scored a touchdown after halftime in six games now.
0: That's crazy.
2: So if you really want to look at a second-half line.
0: Yeah, maybe that's where the play is. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: They have not scored a second-half touchdown in over six games. That's over 12 quarters. And then not forcing a turnover. is huge. If they don't force turnovers this week, there's almost no chance that they cover.
0: Should be fun. Um, I, I'm looking at UCF in that one, too, but you got my ears perked up with the second half line. Uh, we mentioned in one of the marquee, marquee games of the weekend, Wisconsin-Michigan early kickoff. Wisconsin at home is a 3.5 point favorite. Michigan heading off week two weeks ago. last week two weeks ago. They almost lost to Army. It took uh, some overtime to get that done. Wisconsin just hasn't been scored on, hasn't been tested, but just has been dominating teams, one ten to 0, total points scored versus points against. You think the line's about right, Kent? And for Michigan, it's going to come back to their offense. And Shea Patterson, if he is going to be the guy, he's going to have to play well this week.
2: Yeah, I was hoping that Michigan would be favored in this game. Uh, Vegas is a place all year, and last year were higher on Michigan than a lot of other people. I would say for Michigan to win this game, Patterson has to play a lot better. They have to quit turning the ball over. I think Michigan's defense has been fine. If you look at the Army game, their defense was good. Holding Army to like 200 rush yards is actually very good because they run the ball 60 times. Well, what does Wisconsin do well? They run the football as well. So you're going to need to keep clean if you're Michigan, not force turnovers. And then on top of it, you hope that Wisconsin's sophomore quarterback makes a mistake. And Shea Patterson has not looked impressive this year. I think Dylan McCaffrey, frankly, has looked a little bit better when he's been in. But Michigan has outstanding receivers. They're a team with a new offensive coordinator that they like their offense, even though I don't think it's looked good through two games. If they can win this game, it's huge for their season, and I think it will catapult them close you know, to be a justified top-ten team. Uh-huh. But right now they dropped out of the top ten. I like Wisconsin in this game because I've just seen them do it with more consistency through two games. And if their defense is good, which last year it took a real step back, normally we can rely on Wisconsin in two ways. We can rely on their run game, and we can rely on their defense. So far through two games, I know they haven't played anyone special, but you hold team's to zero points. That's all you can do. So, yes, I would say it's currently three, right? Is, it, is that what you're saying It's three?
0: I am seeing about three and a half. Half right now, but yeah, thirty-three. Yeah, I would
2: buy the hook. I would buy the hook just to play it safe, and we'll okay. get to that soon. In terms of last week, I lost the game because I didn't buy a hook, uh-huh. or I guess I yeah, you know, where I could have pushed it, and I was stupid on that front with Virginia Florida State. This week, buy the hook. So if you have to spend minus one twenty instead of minus one ten, just make sure if Wisconsin at least wins by three, you don't lose. But I like their chances to win this game, and for Shea Patterson. Does he play the full game? If you had to guess, and neither of us are Michigan fans, is Shea Patterson the quarterback start to finish? I would say no. I don't. Yeah, think I agree. I think we're gonna
0: I, see. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I think we'll see Dylan McCaffrey in this game.
0: This is this is the final test for him because they need to win this game. They need to catapult their season. If Patterson doesn't play well off the gate, they could go to him, McCaffrey, permanently at halftime. So I would lean Wisconsin, but I, yeah, I think you got to play it safe here. Buy the hook, get yourself three and then go from there. Um, just a couple notes here, just a couple quick picks I want to get through. I'm kind of liking some Pac-12 teams this weekend. I don't know how you feel, but Cal, I think, can go into Ole Miss and win. I don't think Ole Miss is that good, and I think this is also the perfect week for the bounce back, Jekyll and Hyde, Washington Huskies team that we've seen, where I think they go to BYU and win that game as well and cover.
2: Yeah, I've been talking I've been talking with our buddy Matt Gothard about that game, and I just, I don't have, I watched all, pretty much all of that Washington-Cal game. a couple
0: <laughs> Staying up all night.
2: <laughs> and uh, I just, I was not impressed with Washington in that game. Now, they bounced back last week, and, you know, it was against a nobody, but they looked good. And I, I was impressed with BYU last week. I thought that they, you know, pretty much went toe-to-toe with USC and beat them. So I would avoid that line, to be honest. I don't love it. Uh, I do think Chris Peterson's a good enough coach that if I had to take somebody, I would side with him over over Kalani Sataki at BYU. The one line that I do like in the Pac-12, though, is Colorado getting 7.5 yeah. points against Arizona State. This is an Arizona State team last week that you know only put up 10 points and won its party, and it's a huge win for them at Michigan State, but it wasn't an overly impressive game. It's not like they went out and made a statement. They more so... Played good defense, capitalized late. They had a great final drive, and then they held on because of that 12 man on the field and then a missed field goal, all that weird stuff at the end. Colorado has value because they lost last week. If they beat Air Force last week, and let's say Arizona State loses seven to three to Michigan State, which could have happened, this is probably like a three and a half point line. Instead, it's up to seven and a half because Arizona State's ranked. They have a huge alumni base. They're near Vegas. So a lot of Arizona – if you're ever in Vegas on a random college triple Saturday, there are a ton of Arizona State fans watching games in Vegas. Like, they're probably one of the biggest five – like, if you're just going to look and count T-shirts of fans, they're probably top five at every Vegas sports book. They're out there in full force. They'll be betting heavy. And I'm going to go on the other side. I'll take Colorado. I'll feel good that – you know Montez and Chenault and those guys will bounce back and at least keep it close, if not win the game. So that might be one you throw like 10 bucks on a money line, and then you also just include Colorado into either a, you know straight bet or some sort of parlay. But I'll take the Buffs. Out of all the Pac-12 games, the Buffs are the team that kind of stand out to me the most. If we're just going to talk about mm-hmm. you know Pac-12 lines that I like.
0: Get some after-dark action as well. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a good value bet as well. Some of the SEC games before we get to the premier one uh, and the non-conference game. Kent, I really like Mizzou to cover against South Carolina. Now, I got burned last week, but Mizzou at home, I think they're going to put up points, and I don't know if South Carolina keeps up. That's one that I like. And I don't really have a read on Florida Tennessee other than that it's a sad state of affairs for Tennessee when when Mayor Glenn Jacobs has as many wins at home as uh, the Tennessee Volunteers do. But 14 (laughs) points is the line. Trask might actually be a better quarterback than Franks. They probably don't win without him last week. So I'd say Florida covers that, but not really a fielder, but I do love Mizzou.
2: That was a brutal bad beat. If you had Kentucky or you had the under in that game last week, when Florida's running back broke through and then scored that late touchdown, I mean, all you had to do was take a knee and the game over and it goes under. And it goes, you know, if you had Kentucky at anywhere from 8 to 9, you had it. Instead, you either lost straight up or you pushed. And uh, I had a Pittsburgh buddy that did, in fact, have Kentucky, and he would have hit a 14 parlay. And uh, let's just say he broke his remote after that happened. <laughs> but for Florida, I'll just say avoid this because this is a rivalry game. Tennessee has talent. They have nothing to lose, and I don't necessarily know if Traff will play as well in this game as he did in the closing moments of the Kentucky game. But that line is fourteen, which is mm-hmm. like still a lot of points. So yeah. I kind of think if I had to take this, I would think Tennessee loses by less than fourteen, and it's somewhere in that like eight to thirteen range. But again, if you can get it at fourteen and a half, I'd feel a lot better about Tennessee. But I just, I guess, I just don't buy into Florida enough to think that they just go out and this is not one of my top bets of the week but if you're going to say to me i have to take either missouri or tennessee i would lean towards saying i'd rather have tennessee and a lot of that is i just i don't know that missouri game against wyoming i still have a bad feeling about uh they just didn't look good for about 35 minutes of that game but on the other hand tennessee didn't look good for the entire game against georgia state so who knows but yeah i would take those points with the ball
0: okay Uh, And then the other SEC game we need to mention is A&M at home against Auburn. I would actually, and I feel pretty good about A&M in this one. I I think you you outlined, Al, their their loss to Clemson. Everybody's losing to Clemson except for maybe Alabama. I think they win at home, and I think they win by more than four points.
2: I agree. I'm with A&M on this one. That was one that stuck out to me from the start where, I was hoping Auburn would be – and I thought A&M would be favored, but I was hoping it was like a pick or one-point line. The fact that it was three-and-a-half to start makes me even feel better about A&M because I think people – Vegas are hoping that people look at that number next to Auburn and see eight, and they look at the number next to A&M and see 17. If this was old-school Kevin Sumlin at A&M, they don't win this game because they never won a big home game. I think the entire time he's there – I believe they only won one top twenty five matchup in his entire time there at home. He won a lot on the road. But for Auburn, Auburn kind of I don't want to say they got lucky against Oregon. I'll I think say it's it not an Auburn. <laughs> <team> that, yeah. <laughs> they didn't dominate Oregon. And people keep looking back at that game and they're saying Bo Nick, he was great in that game. He had moments of greatness, but he had a lot of moments of mediocrity as well. And I look at A and M and I like Kelamon. Jimbo Fisher does win. You know, if you look at his career as a head coach, he wins a lot of big games. And talent-wise, I don't think Auburn's at a huge advantage, maybe a slight advantage talent-wise, but not by much. And I just think, I'm with you, A&M plays a complete game. They probably forced a couple turnovers on Bo Nix, the same way Oregon did. And this is one of the better defensive fronts in all of the SEC. And we know Auburn has the best defensive line in the league. But A&M has probably a top three or top four or front seven, and I think they'll do enough to make it tough on Knicks and win this game by maybe six, seven, eight points, but that's, you know, that's enough to cover. Also, I, I'm a big believer of when it's two relatively close teams and the line's low, maybe you just buy them on the money line. So now you're getting money line value where you know if you take them and just buy the points and say, look, as long as A&M wins, I have this covered. I also don't think that's a bad bet either. And if you do the money line here, you're going to get it at, you know, under minus, probably minus 160, minus 150. No, and not that's bad. not a bad value either.
0: And you can no. pair that with another game you like as well if you want to parlay or something too. So, yeah, I agree. I would uh, lean A&M there. Ken Brown, Money, Mitch Effect, the last two games we got to get to. And uh, you're a Notre Dame fan. This has been a game you've been dreading, I think, for a little bit. They played Georgia in the return of the home-and-home. Home. They weren't able to schedule it last year. Georgia won in South Bend in a great close game two years ago. Now they return in Athens. three thirty game. Georgia, Notre Dame. Georgia, 14-point favorite. You mentioned this and outlined it. That it is kind of strength versus weakness with Georgia's power running attack versus Notre Dame's inability at times this year to stop the run. How do you see this one playing out? And Do you ultimately think Kent, Georgia covers
2: yeah, this line has been anywhere from 13 to 15, which sadly is what Felipe.
0: Val- okay, all right.
2: <laughs> it has been a line Damn that it. came out big, and I was talking to my twin brother over the weekend, and you know he was kind of saying, "Why? Why do you think down on Notre Dame they scored 66 points? You know, they had. If you were in Vegas at the South Point, they're doing a thing every week now where you can bet first team to score for the 9 a.m. games, and then also highest point total of the day for FBS matchups so you can't take like you know one double A team against the 1A team but Notre Dame had 66 that was the most points in the country last week and yet I still don't love what I've seen out of them and a lot of it is because of that rush defense so I look at this game and I say why is Georgia not going to do what they do well like why I have no reason to think that Georgia won't run it well won't continue to run it and if you can get second and two and third and one or skip third down altogether if you're the dogs, you're not going to lose this game. So when that line came out, I thought it would be around 11 and a half, maybe 12 and a half, and it came out around 13 and now it's 14 or 14 and a half. I just don't like Notre Dame's chances in this game, certainly to win. I'd feel very surprised if they win this game. But even the cover, I'm starting to lean towards Georgia to actually cover the 14 points. Again, if you can tease them and get at the 7, I feel a lot better about Georgia's chances. But for Notre Dame to win this game, the one thing they have going for them, and Kirby Smart talked about it in his press conference this week
3: when somebody asked
2: him, what well, what what do you, what have you seen out of Notre Dame that would make you think this week that they're going to be able to come down here and compete and win? And he said they've forced more turnovers than any team. And Notre Dame right now through two games is plus six in turnover margin. Yeah. That's the best in the nation by far so they've done a great job they forced seven turnovers they've only committed one turnover and if they can force three turnovers against georgia they probably do stand a pretty good chance to be in this game if not but this isn't louisville this isn't new mexico this is a quarterback who's going to go in the first round who came into south bend two years ago as a true freshman replacing jacob easton his first career start and he played well He didn't necessarily do anything great in that game, but he played well enough to beat Notre Dame and knock them off. And now Jake Fromm has played in so many big games over the last few years. Now they've lost a lot of those big games. They won the Rose Bowl, but they've lost to Alabama twice. They lost to Texas last year. They got crushed by LSU. So this is a team that's been up and down in those big games. But I just look at Georgia and I think the Andre Swift-Heisman campaign in full effect after this game, Brian Harry and James Cook, the younger brother of Delvin Cook, they're going to get a lot of carries. And for Notre Dame to win this game, Ian Book's going to have to look like Johnny Manziel, escape pressure.
0: <laughs> I don't know plays. if that's going to happen. And
2: Ian Book, yeah, Ian Book's capable. He's a good quarterback. I don't think he's quite good enough that if they have to rely on him to win this game, that he's going to be able to come through. The over under is at fifty six. That's a lot of points. That's what I was like, thinking. If you yeah. don't think Notre Dame. Yeah, if you don't think Notre Dame's offense is getting 30, probably it goes under because then that's pretty much like I'm looking at this game scoring wise and I'm thinking Georgia, Notre Dame probably scores 22. Georgia's going to score, you know, Notre Dame, I'll say Notre Dame scores 20 and I'll say Georgia scores, you know, 38 or so. So that's right around that 56. But if you don't think Notre Dame gets anywhere close to 20, then it probably goes under. But i'm excited for it to me it's a nothing to lose game for for notre dame because nobody's really expecting them to win this game but again it's just strength against weakness and good coaches and talent this is a georgia offensive line that has a bunch of guys that will be in the nfl notre dame has defensive ends that will be in the nfl but if you're not getting georgia in the obvious passing downs, then that doesn't mean much because you take away notre dame's strength which is their pass rush now their secondary is great Uh, The safeties are maybe the best group in the country. The defensive ends are maybe the best group in the country. But the tackles are new. The inside linebackers are new. And I just don't like their chances. So I'll say Georgia wins and Georgia covers. And it's not going to be a huge setback for Notre Dame. It just takes them out of the playoff equation. But they better force two or three turnovers if they want a chance to keep us close.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with all that. And I do think the under is probably where I would make my best bet in this game. Georgia tough to beat at home, especially like the dogs there. Last game, Kent, Oklahoma State, Texas, at Texas. Oklahoma State's undefeated. Texas at home only lost to LSU that dramatic Sunday night game two week or Saturday night game two weeks ago. Lines at about five last year. You called the upset it was okay state at home in a primetime game. Are you feeling cowboys again? Or do you think Texas bounces back and gets a must needed win here?
2: I'm glad, I'm glad you referenced that, because I was going to bring that up. I brought it so, up. I, here, I, like, not, I'm, um,
0: I give credit to where credit's too. You haven't made a lot of good decisions in your life, but you made that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it comes to the Pokes and Longhorns, I've made a good decision there. And, you know, I don't know if Tom Herman's going to try to get a little... Uh, <laughs> he doesn't make good decisions. ...before the game or whatnot. I, I would be interested in seeing Mike Gundy come in and try to ask for, you know, something involving the Mullet special and just seeing how they react to that. But... You know, I look at this Oklahoma State team, and they are intriguing because Chuba Hubbard has been the best running back in the country right now through two, three weeks. And on the other hand, we know Tylen Wallace is about as good as it gets in terms of wide receivers. So I'll say, though, that Texas makes a statement. They actually bounce back and win this game, and they show a bit more than they showed against LSU. So I'm going to say the Longhorns cover. They make a statement, and they probably win by like eight to ten
0: points. I think this is going to be a great game. I would lean Longhorn to win, but don't cover. I think it's going to be a three-point game. Uh, that, that's where yeah, I think I hope it, it is.
2: Because I because I, I want to see drama. I like Gundy. I usually root for Oklahoma State. But I just kind of feel like Texas will make a slight statement and say, look, we lost to LSU. But we played well. But I, I think they do cover this. This is a line that I thought would be closer to a touchdown, and it's at, what, about five, five and a half right, right. now?
0: Yeah, five points is what it's at right now, so uh, yeah. I think they're expecting a close game as well. Uh, Gundy knows how to play Texas tough, but, yeah, this is – look, Texas loses this game. It's over this year. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's yeah. where we're at.
2: That's very true, and that that's why I think that they'll win and they'll probably cover is I think they know that, like, you know, at the LSU game – That would have been a nice addition to our season. It doesn't mean everything. Win this game, you're right there in the the Big 12. hunt. And also, the Big 12 now, Mitch, is starting to look a lot better. Mm -hmm. Kansas State looks way better than expected. I still clearly I believe in the great people of Ames, Iowa, and Iowa State. Baylor is a sneaky good team that they're going to start playing big games, including Iowa State, next week. Oklahoma State looked for real. Even Kansas showed life by dominating last week at B.C., uh, you know, it's just a conference now. TCU, maybe they're, they're back and they'll be fine. We know Oklahoma's good. We know Texas is good. And then West Virginia last week manned up and beat NC State after looking terrible a couple weeks ago. So this is a Big 12 now all of a sudden that I do think it's about as deep and competitive as it's been in a while. So if Texas loses this game, as you said, what's the chances of them not losing one or two more in conference? So I do feel like this almost is a must win for Texas. And I do think that they'll come out and know, you know, again, I don't think they win by 20. I think they win by like eight, nine, 10 or in, in that range. So, okay, cool. Hook them. Tom Herman gets, gets a nice win and gets ready for conference play going forward.
0: And gets ready for whatever the night uh, entails that evening in Austin. All right. Kent Brown, week three. Okay. That was fun. The one and only the week, uh, four. week, four. week, four. Yeah, week four in the books. We got One and only Kent Brown. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we'll see how these picks hold up, and we'll see what uh, other decisions, good and bad, you, you make in this fall, fall of 2019.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's one of those deals where I, I'm trying to be, as you said, like Kane the other day. I'll give a little shout-out again to the mayor of Knox County. He showed up at the University of Tennessee the other night at Monday Night Raw. He was choke slamming people. He was putting on the old costume, and – uh you know, just making headways. And I'll say this: if I have to put on a few costumes this fall, I have to have a little bit choking incidents in mm. my life. I'll roll with the punches.
0: Yeah, we're not going to dive any further. Kent Brown, thanks again for joining the show.
2: Go Irish, even though I don't feel good about it.
0: And that's it for today's show. Big thanks again to both guests, Adam Musto and Kent Brown. You can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect, and it comes right up. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. And a reminder, as always, check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for all the show posts. And we will continue to give you some picks for both college football, NFL, as well as some baseball talk as well down the road here. we got the playoffs starting up, so we'll see if the Indians can make a push there. The playoff picture heating up in that sport. Hockey preseason has started. Basketball is around the corner. We're getting ready for a busy, busy October. A lot of sports talk as well. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.